0: Okay, well, welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class. Uh, it's nice to see all you, all you people here, all you people from the mountains and everybody. I appreciate that. It's a good evening to study the Torah. <clears throat> Let me open in a word of prayer. Well, Father God, thank you very much for this group of people that found time in their schedule to come out and look at your Torah tonight. I appreciate them, and I'd ask that you just bless them for their efforts and their desire to do this. Um, We know from past experience that studying your Torah is a life-changing thing to do, and we know that you bless us when we do it. And I'd ask that you just be with us in our conversation tonight, that we might have ears to hear and learn from one another, and that we might walk away with a little better understanding of who you are, how much you love us, and how you want us to behave. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, let's see. Last week, we're we're in Exodus. We've been going through just at, a, at the normal pace. We do as much as we can do in an hour and a half, and then we just pick up where we left off the next week. <clears throat> and we're now in Exodus. We're in chapter 32, one of the more exciting chapters in Exodus. Exodus has got a lot of good stuff in it, for sure. But this is the episode, if you will, of the golden calf, the, the story of the golden calf. This is where one of the funniest lines in the, uh, the Bible I think is, is when, you know, uh, God comes down from the mountain, or Moses comes down from the mountain, and he hears the the people, the sound of revelry, singing and dancing, and he goes over and he asks, uh, Aaron, what's going on here? How have you you let the people get so out of hand? And he tells him the story, and he says, and, and so everybody gave, all the women gave us their gold earrings and their bracelets and stuff, and I threw it in the fire, and out popped this calf. I just think that's a funny story when Aaron says, out pop this calf. You know? <laughs> but anyway, um, last week we read about, well, one of the things I found interesting, we figured out where Joshua was during this whole time that the people were worshiping the golden calf. And we concluded that he was halfway up the mountain somewhere between where Moses was on the top and where the people were because he didn't know what the people were doing. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, let's see. John,
1: I had a couple of thoughts after we after Good. the study. Good. Well, I talked a little bit to, with you about it earlier. Um, I was trying to research where does it say uh, the devil uh, idleness is the devil's workshop. Yeah, I couldn't really find that. There was some stuff, but anyway, that was kind of what I envisioned the problem was that they were sitting there for 40 days twiddling their thumbs. They didn't have anything to do. Yeah. If you don't have anything to do, your mind can get squirrely. I forgot what the other point was. So, anyway.
0: Well, that's 40 days, number one. 40 days is quite a long time, really, right? And number two, these guys were just out of Egypt. I mean, it was only a. A month or so ago, and they were busy, you know, making bricks for building pyramids and whatnot. And so they, and they were steeped into the, in the Egyptian culture.
1: The other you, question I had was, how did God feel about Moses throwing down the? Well, the the template, the tabla, we, tablets. We might talk about that because but I don't think that was
0: in this in this version or in this passage that we're going to read tonight, just in a minute. God says. Uh, she's allowed two new tablets to replace the ones that you broke. So, it's he may not have been real happy with that. <laughs>
2: Joe. Yeah, just reading uh, down here in um, verse 7, I believe, no, verse 8, is how quickly they they turn, even though after they uh, they knew that God brought them out of Egypt and everything else, and uh, yeah. just how quickly that they forgot all about that and well, turn and turn yeah. to God, turn uh, to the golden calf.
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> from God's perspective, the people had agreed to live by this covenant, right? They said that they would live by this covenant and they would be obedient, and this was supposed to last not only through their lifetimes but through the lifetimes of the generations to come. And it didn't take, them <clears throat> didn't take them more than a matter of just a couple of weeks and they blew it. So,
3: Pat. Don't you think that they probably started the calf long before the 40 days was up? Because it would take, I mean, even if it topped not, out. Notwithstanding
0: Aaron's <laughs> explanation. Well, not yeah, I said, imagine. I
3: imagine it's only yeah. take a couple of weeks. I mean, uh, you know. Yeah. To, to collect all the Jewelry and it, Well, I think it's a down. it's a fair
0: point to say it was not a kind of a thing where they just quickly fell into the temptation. No, they this was this was uh this had some pre-planning associated with it without a doubt. Okay, let's see. Um so when Moses, let's say I'm on chapter 32 verse 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. So, in other words, he he was asking the people to choose sides. Are you going to be with me and God or not? And the the ones that came were the Levites. And so he uh, said to them in verse 27... This is what Yahweh the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing his each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3000 of the people died. And then Moses said, you have been set apart to Yahweh today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. So he was he was talking to the Levites. The Levites had done this at Moses' command. And um, God said that they had been set apart. And so it turns out, of course, the Levites were set apart. They were the, the tribe of the priests. So we found that out. Let's see. So I'm going to continue just a minute, and then we'll get new stuff. Yes,
1: John. Yeah, in 26, who is on <clears throat> Yahweh's side? Uh-huh. That reminds me of... Uh, uh, Joshua. As for me and my house. Good point. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, at some point, I've been thinking about that this week, too. Is people have to choose. You know, every person has to choose. And some of the, let's see, I don't want to go too far with this because I'll get in trouble and it's a rabbit trail anyway, but the, some people treat their relationship with God as such a casual thing. You know, it's like, well, yeah, you know, as long as I go to church on Sundays or whatever, whatever their version is, they feel like they've got this all under control and it's, it's fine. But God really requires more than that. It needs to be something that you're committed to. And the level of commitment needs to be uh, fairly extreme, if you will. And uh, it's made me kind of, it's kind of convicted me because, uh, you know, I'm guilty sometimes of being just a little too casual about the whole thing. Yeah. Did somebody have something they wanted to say? Okay. I thought I saw a hand.
4: <laughs> I was going to say that people often treat God too like he's some type of genie or something yes. or some type of oh, yes. energy and Yep. yep, and yep not yep. actually like he's real and personable.
0: Yeah, so. well, he's, not only is he a real person, he's the creator God of the universe. And we'll get there, but just to let the cat out of the bag, I think that was the primary offense that um, the name went away. Balaam. That was Balaam's primary offense. Was he thought God, oh, yeah, yeah, I know how to work these gods. You know, you, you say the right blessing and you do the right stuff and then you can get them to do what you want them to do. And, and boy, that's, that's got to be offensive to God. Yeah, but you're exactly right. A lot of people do that. A lot of people do that. Let me go on here in verse 39. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 30 of chapter 32. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. But now I will go up to Yahweh, and perhaps I can make atonement for you. Perhaps I can make atonement for you. So Moses went back to Yahweh and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. And Yahweh replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. So, what do you find interesting about that little paragraph? What does Moses offer to do?
5: Take the place of the people.
0: Yeah. He says, take me. Take me and forgive the people. Now, obviously, that's got to be a foreshadowing of Yeshua. God didn't accept Moses' offer, right? God said, no, okay, I get you, Moses. I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll, you know, forgive the ones that need to be forgiven, but, you know, I'm not taking you up. But now whose offer did he take up with that, right? Yeshua,
5: yeah. I guess this is a question for John. Is it because of he's bound by his own justice that he, he can't accept Moses' offer?
0: You think? What do you mean by bound by his own justice?
5: Well, because he has to apply a just ruling, a right ruling, he can't take, have Moses in the stead of, these, of the people.
3: Well,
0: that could be. The, the thought that I came to on that, I'm, I'm glad you talked about that, was that um, if a person is going to be an appropriate sacrifice to take on the sins of the people... What's one of the requirements that they would have to be? Perfect. They'd have to be sinless and perfect. Moses isn't. Moses knows that and God knows that. <laughs> so, even, you know, it, it really does answer your question. But that's, uh, that's, that's what made Yeshua
2: unique. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't think uh, God was talking about the nation of Israel, He was talking about the people who uh, were participating in this golden calf because uh, he says, I will visit their sin upon them, and the Lord smoked the people because they made the calf. Those were the, the 3,000 people that uh, God told uh, Eli or whatever to kill them. Uh, it wasn't the nation, but it well, was the people.
0: Well, you make an interesting point. Um, certainly those that were most responsible or those that were most, I'll just say guilty, uh, died. But I think he held the whole group, all of them responsible to some degree. Because he says, he goes on and he says, uh, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. So I think the whole, if you will, the whole nation had to be held responsible and accountable. And I think that holds today too. I think, you know, uh, certainly... Whenever we in get involved in some kind of a community like that, the community has a responsibility to to each other, you know, and it's not, well, let's see, what's the thing they used to say in in Nazi Germany? you know all all that you have to have for evil to succeed is for good people to do nothing. I think part of the fault was, part of the of the crime was that the people some of the people did nothing. That's just my opinion. Pat's got something.
3: repentance is an essential part of here, forgiveness here. Mm-hmm. so by having them join the side gave them gave an understanding that they were repenting that mm-hmm. they recognized that they were in error
0: yep that they had a responsibility yet that they didn't
3: yeah that's good that's good and i think it's really important for us to remember that because well, I, I agree
0: i agree a lot of people don't have a clue about what repentance even means, you know.
3: I was listening to a sermon by a man who had worked with young people for long periods of time, and he mentored them and so forth and so on. Out of several, 20, 30, 40 of them, about nine of them over the years um, turned out to be atheists, even though they were gun ho hard workers, Mm-hmm. for a season mm-hmm. and he noticed that all nine of them had the same thing and that was that they were never wrong
6: yeah. they always
3: blamed somebody else it wasn't their fault yeah that really spoke to me
0: yep I uh, boy i can hear you i understand what you're saying there
1: what how does yours read on that okay. i will visit i will uh punish them It's
0: just Uh, Verse 34 reads, now go lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my messenger will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin.
1: Yeah, the King James, of course, that's the Bible that came from Mount Sinai. Yes, we
0: know that's the original language.
1: (laughs) It says, I visit, I visit. I visit, I will visit. Like this this word, Pakad, we've studied it before. Mm -hmm. I think that's the same word in Exodus 20. Five and six, where I will visit the sins yes. of the third and of the fourth generation. Yep. The same word.
7: Okay. So I would, I'm going to add to what you talked about. their sin. The sin, because they didn't deal with it. Let's look at Genesis 26.10. Abimelech says, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have laid with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Mm-hmm. So they knew that even if one man was to sin in the group, it would bring guilt upon all of them. I remember whenever the men had ravished the, the woman until she died, and he cut her up in pieces and sent her all out, they knew that if they didn't deal with this with the Benjamites, it would bring guilt and punishment upon all of them yeah. because they did not act righteously when it was before them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a hard lesson for us to assimilate, especially in this culture of ours that values individualism so much. You know, it's well, I didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, but you stood there, you know, you had an opportunity to stop it and you didn't. It's pretty clear that God God counts
6: that. Yeah, yes. The answer to the question is yes. <laughs> Marvin in verse 34, where it says, but on, on the day I will settle accounts, I will hold them accountable for their sin. That means he's not done with the, with the 3,000. Yes, that's
0: what I was trying to explain to Joe. The 3,000 were the ones that were just real obvious about it. He, well, that's right. Well, the ones that are dead he's done with. <laughs> well, okay. Oh, well, I see what you're saying. Okay. Okay.
2: Uh, it's interesting to see here. Uh, God is not doing it himself personally. He's allowing it because he says, my angel will go before thee. And then down here in 33, uh, also it says, unto thy sea will I give it, and I will send an angel before thee. Mm-hmm. So evidently God's saying, hey, uh uh, angel, go down and do this. Well, It's almost like... Yeah, uh,
0: we're going to get into that a little more detail here in a few minutes. Because, um, yes, you're right, but there's a reason for it. And I don't think... I mean, we'll, we'll find out what the reason is in just a second here.
1: So is there a connection to Acts chapter 2 on this? We'll go, About Jack. the 3,000? Yes. Is it
0: 3,000 I, I wasn't going to bring that up, but feel free. So... God. Well,
1: I wasn't going to get lazy about it. I was just trying to No, no, you to no.
0: Show the... Uh, you, might, you brought it up. You might as well explain what you're talking about. Uh,
1: I've got to look now. I've got to do work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you've got to move a mouse. <laughs> the number 3,000 is one of the things that goes along with this, right? Yeah, I'm trying to see. 3,000 people died when the Levites went through here.
5: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll postpone my thoughts.
0: Okay, well I can I can cut to the chase and just tell you the end of the story if you want. When the um, Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter two, and uh, many people uh, became filled, the number of people that filled and uh, and came to the Lord was three thousand. And so this is this this a uh, this event and the event in Acts are often tied together for that reason. Uh, both of them also have to do with. Something coming down from God, right? In the case of Exodus, we've got the the Torah coming down, and in the case of Acts, we've got the Holy Spirit. So, and so they must both have occurred around Shavuot. So that's that's interesting. Okay, moving along here. Um, see, I'm gonna. What do I want to do here? Get someone to read if I could from. Verse 35 in chapter 32 through verse 6 in chapter 33. It's just a little paragraph in my Bible. Um,
5: Go ahead, Mike. And Yahweh plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Come up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Mitzrayim, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Yitzhak, and to Jacob, saying... To your seed I give it, and I shall send my messenger before you, and I shall drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I do not go up in your midst, because you are, uh, for I do not go up in your midst because you are a stiff-necked people, lest I consume you on the way. And when the people heard this evil word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. And Yahweh said to Moshe, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. Should I, should I go up to your, in your midst for one moment? I shall consume you. And now take off your ornaments, and I shall know what to do to you. So the children of Israel took off their ornaments at Mount Horeb.
0: Okay. My version has a couple of little word changes that I think make it, a little clearer. Um, anyway, but this is the point that Joel was, was kind of saying. He was sending his messenger. And he wasn't going himself. And it explains why. He says here um, in verse 3, he describes, you know, he describes, he says, okay, leave. Go to the land that I promised. I'm not giving up on the promise that I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm still going through this. But then in verse 3, he says, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. So the reason he's sending his messenger and not going himself is because, I mean, to put a human face on it, he's afraid they'll make him mad, and he'll just zap them all. <laughs> I mean, that's what it says. Yeah.
5: At this point, they don't have the ark yet no. built yet, do they? So no, that comes no up in the nest real paragraph. place for uh,
2: Yahweh to reside.
0: Yes. That's a good point. That's true. Joe's going to rebut my criticism here.
2: This interesting term, stiff-necked people. Isn't it? Isn't it? That is really a a thing. But to me, uh, a stiff-neck is uh, not willing to turn. Yeah. You know, uh, it's rigid. Yeah. And uh, not willing to turn or whatever. Yeah. Uh, You you know, stiff-necked
0: I'm sure it's got a, uh, uh, an agricultural root to it, but I often think about it as uh, you know, donkeys or horses. Uh, you know, they get headed somewhere, and you can't, you can't get them to to move. They're, they're headed uh, that direction. They're not stubbornness, moving. Stubbornness, right? Stubbornness. Yeah. That's what it is. It's stubbornness. Yeah. And this is not the first nor will it be the last time that God accuses his people of being stiff-necked. Yeah. Um, so what, and, and so <laughs> God told this to Moses, and Moses goes out and tells the people. And it said in verse 4, when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For, the, for God had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you for even a moment, I might destroy you. So, John.
1: So I've been thinking about, what's the difference between a new covenant and a renewed covenant? Okay. And to me, a, re, a new covenant is, we're fundamentally changing the terms of the covenant. This is something different. Right. Like, First Samuel chapter, which I always bring up. Okay. He, Yahweh is no longer the king. We want a king like the nation. That's a fundamental change in the contract. The same parties are still there, essentially, different capacities. A renewed covenant, like with the Brit Kadashah, with the House of Israel, that's renewing the covenant already existed. They're, they're the newish part, the, the House of Israel being party to the covenant makes it renewed. It's new to them. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I mean, and, and I'm, it's, I tell you what, it's, uh,
0: I've often enjoyed or appreciated the uh, analogy with the covenant we have with God and the marriage covenant. And it's a common thing for people that have been married a long time, like I've done. This is to renew your marriage vow. That's renewing the covenant, right? Right. And you're basically saying, you know, I, uh, I'll I'll do this all over again,
1: right? Or, yeah. or a more dramatic one is they get separated, but they don't ever actually get a divorce. Yep. And then they, you know. Yep. Um,
0: you had something else in mind. And I interrupted. Well,
1: I mean, Christianity's like looking for something brand new because they're not doing the Torah. So it must be, a new covenant means. You know, throughout the love, old, peace, love. Yeah, you know, yeah, yep. Whatever. The king is dead. Long Pass the, the king ham will. sandwich. You know. But <laughs> yep, well, yep. what I'm, I'm bringing this up here because, you know, this is this this right now. What God intended two days ago has fundamentally changed. He's they're still working out what the covenant is going to have to be based on what they've already done. So. It's evolving. Yes. It's, it's not because God doesn't have a perfect vision of what to do. It's just he's got to work with these stiff-necked people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree.
0: Yep. And, and, you know, I, something that you guys just said that dawned on me. You know, at this point in time, the plans for the place that God will dwell with his people only exist in Moses' head. Right? So um, God's got to be frustrated. You know, I couldn't even hardly get the, the plans out of my mouth before these guys have already screwed up. <laughs> Been unfaithful would be the right term, right? Well, let's go on. Um, somebody want to read just this short little verse uh, section from verse 7 to verse 11 in chapter 33? It's not long. Somebody well, want to raise your hands?
1: So I'll read it. Seven to eleven. Seven to eleven. Thank heaven for seven to eleven. Yeah, right? that's right. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that every one which sought Jehovah went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood, every man at his tent door, and looked after Moses until he was gone unto the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and Adonai talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloud, uh, cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And Jehovah spoke unto Moshe face to face, As a man speaketh unto his friend, and he turned again unto the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle.
0: Okay, this is interesting because the original King James version there, um, my nearly inspired version, puts a much different cast on this whole thing because it does not call it the tabernacle. Now, it is clear that at this time in the story, the tabernacle doesn't exist. So mine starts off a little bit different. It says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Now that's a lot different than what yours said, really. H a o l.
5: This says tent of
0: <coughs> appointment. Tent of appointment. Okay. <coughs> um, and anyway, I guess the, the, the reason this is, uh, uh, let's see. Somewhat difficult, I think, is because like I say the the tabernacle doesn't exist yet, but Moses and God spoke together. This phrase down there where it says the God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend that that's not the first time well it's the we'll see that a couple of more times in the Torah Moses was special and that God spoke to him face to face
1: yeah, so it says Unto the tabernacle of the congregation. Yes. Guess what congregation is?
0: Uh, I used to... It's, I'm forgotten. Moed. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's appointment. Yep. So it's... And, it's and tabernacle like can be tent, too, we know. So the tent of appointment, the tent of meeting, that's all fine. That all, all fits together. Joe's got something.
2: It's interesting to know that... Um, previously god was very upset with moses Mm -hmm. and then here he says uh, the lord spoke unto moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend so uh, i think that god had an understanding of moses because moses said well you know uh save these people or take me out of the book like it's like two two men having a face to face conference But one man is really, I'm your friend. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's uh, maybe that God was uh, kind of uh, encouraging Moses because further down here, he says, uh, uh, See, thou saith unto me, Bring up the people, and thou shalt not let me know whom thou will send with me, yet thou hast said, I know thee by thy name. Mm-hmm. And has and has also found grace in my sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like an apology. Well, in in a way. In a but, way. Well,
0: but okay. Yeah.
2: But uh, seeing God face to face, at Moses, he thought of Moses as a friend.
0: Yes, he definitely thought of Moses as a friend. He also thought of Abraham as a friend too, by the way. Uh, but he spoke to Moses. He spoke to him face to face. I don't think it says he saw him face to face because we're going to come to something else that kind of says that's not the case. But there is a place, I think the place that explains this more clearly is over in Numbers. We'll get there, obviously, when um, Moses' brother and sister kind of get a rebellious streak and God quickly pulls them up by their bootstraps and says, uh, you know, you guys don't understand, I'm paraphrasing for God. You guys don't understand the relationship I have with Moses. I speak to Moses face to face in words. It's like we have conversations. Everybody else gets visions and, uh, what's the other, visions and what? Dreams, Dreams and visions. But Moses I, I talk to. And so Moses really is special. You know, he's, he's, his relationship with God is unique uh, as to anybody we've seen up to this point. Were you gonna say something? No, yeah. So you for that word. Okay, thanks. John is. He's got something
1: So is this the angel or is this Yahweh? Because he just said he wasn't going to be with him. Tabernacle, does that mean he's not gonna be like in their midst, but he's gonna be outside the camp? Or is this strictly he's talking to his angel? And the reason I ask. Is Because one of the, the Lord's here. It's just L-O-R-D. Is, L-O-R-D. Yeah. Uh, I thought it would be o- Adonai. I'm trying to see where it's at. Oh. I wait, like in verse 9. And he stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord, except here in the King James, it's not all caps like yeah. it is. Uh, I don't see it on my... Which one it is? Oh well. Yep, I get your point. That's this.
0: You know, the form that God takes to me is extremely. Uh, I mean, it can, it can be anything. He can do anything he wants, right? So sometimes he took. I mean, like the one of the uh, most interesting ones was when the three visitors came to eat lunch with him that day when he told uh, Sarah that she was going to have a son. You know, and. The three visitors and Abraham walk along the hill as they're leaving, and the God talks. it says God talks to Abraham, and Abraham and God have this discussion, and then God goes away, and the other two of the three go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember all that story? <clears throat> so that, was God one of those people? Was He all three of those people? Was God one of them and the angels were two others? Or, so God can do, He presents Himself in lots of different ways, I guess, so- bottom line.
1: I Just to clarify, I looked on the Esword version of King James and that the Lord is all italics, Okay, which is kind of strange.
0: It is kind of strange.
1: Why would they? you know.
0: don't know. I don't know that we're to trying to get too much out of that.
6: Did you say we're going to clarify this face-to-face? Because, you know, a few days ago, He was on the mountain and he he couldn't look at him. And it it says face to face. Yeah, and
0: we're going to get that more. But it says, if you look at, my version says it, see if yours doesn't say this. It's verse 11. It says, Yahweh would speak to Moses face to face. It says he would speak to Moses face to face. It doesn't say he looked at Moses and Moses looked at him. I mean, I get that it is kind of implied in that. But you'll also notice that there's this big cloud and stuff down there at the time. So the only reason I say that is if it's not the case, then the thing we're going to read about just in the next several paragraphs kind of doesn't make sense. So
2: we'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah, it's almost like the burning bush. The, the words was coming out, but, yeah. uh, you know, Moses didn't see God, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting, that's a good example. That's an interesting conversation that God had with the burning bush. John. Yeah, oh that I'm glad you mentioned that. Where was Joshua every time the cloud would come down on the, the tent?
5: He was in the tent.
0: I don't think it says in the tent. I thought he was in the right right beside the front door, is what I thought. Where has Joshua placed himself oh. all this so far? He's placed him you know, at Moses' right hand. He's basically right there doing whatever Moses asked him to do. Mine reads, uh, verse 11, my verse 11 says, Then Yahweh would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend, and then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Maybe he was inside, I rather doubt it, but maybe, I don't know. Don't know. Any thoughts? Let's, let's read a little bit farther and we'll see if some of this makes a little more sense. This next passage is real dramatic. So I get to do it. <laughs> so I'm going to start 33 verse 12. Moses said to Yahweh, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And Yahweh replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And Yahweh said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, Show me your glory. And Yahweh said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So, if you get the idea that God and Moses were sitting down at the table having this discussion I think this kind of says that's, that didn't happen, you know. Now, I think the difference is, is God said in this Numbers passage that I was referring to, he said, I speak to others in uh, visions and dreams, parables. I think it also used parables. Um, but Moses, I speak face to face as a friend. So m- he and Moses had discussions. I mean, really. And I think a good example was the burning bush where God <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, God tells Moses, you know, I've heard the uh, uh, anguish of my people, and I'm going to send you to go redeem, to bring my people out. And Moses goes through these six reasons why he's not the right guy. He sits there and tries to tell God, I'm not the right guy for this. You know, I don't do this. I can't do that. You know, I don't know this. And, and finally, God gets kind of frustrated with him and says, look, <laughs> you're doing it. <laughs> I've chosen you. You're the guy. You're doing this. You can go back and read that sometime. It's really kind of funny. Yeah.
2: It's another interesting thing that uh, God is uh, kind with uh, Moses because uh, Moses wants to see him. He yeah. says, my glory passes by that I will put thee in the cleft, an overhang of the rock and I will cover thee with my hand and till I have passed by and I will take my hand away and you will see my back yeah even uh, because if Moses were able no man can see God and live because God is a a consuming fire yeah and so but to allow because he's uh, Moses uh, it's his friend. God, in his love to Moses and his mercy, is letting Moses have what he wants.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's exactly right. John's got something.
1: So there's a <clears throat> standalone all top in verse 12, right after. And thou hast let me know right after that. Okay. Which is interesting. But this there's a lot of stuff going on here. I don't yep. know. Yeah, this is a real complicated one. I mean, so Moses, I think about heard what you said. Moses is saying to God, Hey, you told me to do this. Yeah. <laughs> in a in a respectful way. Yes. We're doing this. Yeah. So he's he's trying to Convince God to undo what he just said at the beginning of the chapter that I will, I'm not going to go, I'll send an angel, but I'm not going to tabernacle with you, yeah. in essence. And he's trying to undo that. Right.
0: You're right. You're exactly right.
1: He, he, and he basically does. Right. That's true. Right. Mm-hmm. And then and the precedence is like he told, he told Jacob to go down, I will be with you yes. when, he, when he's holding that. Right. Yes.
0: And he, he indicates that that being with them separates them, makes them unique from all the other. Gods that uh, well,
1: that's what Moses brings up, right?
0: No, no, no. You're right. Moses brought that up. That's exactly right. He says in verse uh, verse 16, "How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth?" Right. That's pretty important thing.
1: That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, "I mean, I'm just there's a lot to go here, but." I will be gracious to those who will be gracious with and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, that's, that's an interesting that's one. That's kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say it's out of left field, but it's… Well, it is and it isn't. That, that, is, he, is he being gracious to Moses or to be Israel or to both? Or? I don't Do you know
0: another place that very quote exists is in, I think it's the book of Romans, when Paul is talking about uh, Esau and Jacob. And, you know, the, the point is being made, you know, you picked Jacob before they were even born. You know, how, kind, of, kind of is saying, you know, how is that fair? And, and, and Paul quotes this exact verse. He says, God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on who have compassion. Is
1: this the first time you, did you see this here? Is it, is here? This is the first time I've seen it here. I mean in the Torah, in the, in in the, the, the Torah, right. yes,
0: but it's in Romans. And it's, right. it's that very verse is pulled out in the context that I t- said. The way I paraphrase this, and you guys, I could be, you know, you back at this one is what he's saying is, look, I'm God and you're not. And I can pick and I can choose. And I can choose who I want to be good to and
1: choose who I don't want to be good to. And, you know, tough. Well, it's sort of like the the man goes and picks who he wants to be his bride. Well whether, yeah, whether that reciprocates.
0: That's fair. That's fair. No. I mean he goes to he goes to Israel and he says, You know, you're not the best looking girl I ever saw. <laughs> but I'm picking you anyway. Now, what's wrong with your neck? Yeah. <laughs> <What's wrong? laughs> that's good. I tell you another place I really struggle with this is you know, Moses is doing having this heavy discussion and negotiation with God. And then the one that seems like it's out of left field to me is in verse 18, where Moses says, Okay. Now, we got all that out of the way. Now, show me your glory. Now, glory is a word I, I struggle with anyway. Isn't that the word kavod? Kavod, which means heaviness. It's like grandeur, I guess. Or sometimes they talk about armament. Um, I, I don't know what else it means. Maybe you guys could help me with that. But the only thing I can get from this is Moses really appreciates and values the favor that God has shown him. And he, I don't know. He just wants to know more about him. He wants to know him better. What do you think, John? I beg your pardon. The the word glory.
1: Is this a new thought that just came into to Moses's idea, or I mean, I would assume the forty days that he was with them, he would have 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 had that, or is he wanted it again? It doesn't say again. Well, I know that, but I'm yeah. He didn't see his glory, the 40 days he was up there when he was getting the covenant? I'm assuming not, but maybe he did.
0: I don't know. Anyway, if, if you get a better understanding of that, we can talk about it. I, By the way, that's an also, I appreciate the way that some of you went off and thought about this during the week, because that's what I do. You know, I sit here and think about these things, and they're not all crystal clear in your mind, but sometimes you get clarity as the week goes on.
1: Yeah. Here's the thought. Okay. When he was up there, he was like, "All right, here's the instruction manual. Right, here's what we're gonna do. Blah 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 blah. Forty days. What are these crazy guys doing down there at the mountain? They got interrupted. So, I'm, is it that the part that got interrupted is that the part that Moses like? Well,
0: wait, wait, wait. We <laughs> wait wait, What was stuff? the rest of the story here?
1: Where are we going with this whole thing? Is that possibly what? Well, it could be. I mean, could that's be. that would yep. show his glory. If if yep. if we're going to go through Israel and Israel does what yeah. what Adonai wants him to want them to do, that would give glory to God, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting because
0: I hadn't thought about it, but it is very true that, you know, they're up there, you know, getting all the instructions for the tabernacle and all this and all of a sudden God says, okay, you got to go back down there because the people have already gone astray. And and (laughs) it was like God wasn't done yet, but uh, he says, man, they're already out of control. Man, what kind of people did you you give me here, Moses? (laughs) Okay. Um... Any other thoughts about that little passage? It's pretty complex. Sorry about that. But I enjoyed that because it's, there's stuff going on here that we just barely catch a glimpse of, I think. Want to go on? Chapter 34. <clears throat> Didn't give you much of time to say no. Let's see. Uh, first seven verses. Would anyone like to read the first seven verses of chapter 34? Marguerite. Hmm. Okay. 34.
8: And Yahweh spoke unto Moses, Hew two tablets of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tablets the words that were in the first tablet, which thou breaks. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the in the top of the mount, and no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor the herds feed before the mount. And he hewed two tablets of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, as Yahweh had commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed by before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh El, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and, and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, unto the third and to the fourth generation
0: why don't you read two more verses
8: and moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped and he said if now i have found grace in your sight O yahweh let my Elohim, i pray thee go among us for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for thine inheritance okay
0: so in in my opinion, this is the this is the enacting of uh, Moses being in the cleft in the rock and God walking by. Just a second.
7: Go ahead. So this is how many days out from the Day of Atonement? Oh boy. That's forty. Forty. Okay. Because he goes up for forty days and it's forty at least nights. least that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This begins the forty days of repentance.
0: Ah, all right.
2: Makes sense, doesn't it? By God, by God giving Moses, the, the, they say, well, it's the law of Moses. No, it's not. It's God's law. No, oh, here, here. And it's a very, very important uh, thing that God is doing because, he, in the first place, he's uh, writing on the stones with his finger. And with all the requirements, all the questions, everything else that uh, God t- told Moses, you know, none of your cattle or nothing come up around there. So be early in the morning if uh, your commanding officer wants you up here uh, so, so, and so on yeah, a certain time, and you are to do this, and you are to do this, and you are to do that. And so uh, with all these restrictions, with all these uh, uh Things that God wanted him to do, in the case to me, at least, it's a very important thing. The Ten Commandments are very important. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, now, go ahead, John. I'll just interrupt, I'll interject this. He, uh, God told Moses to chisel out two new tablets, but then he said, bring them up and I'll write on them. I'll write on them the same thing that wrote on the tablets that you
1: broke. That's pretty funny. I, it, I I'm curious. In verse six, it says, "Yahweh, Yahweh." I'm just wondering if that's ever the you know whenever you double words in Hebrew, that's an important thing. But I'm wondering if that's ever been done before. Well, you know,
0: I, you're right. I've I've been told, and I don't know how true this is, but you know. They don't have bigger, biggest, or big, bigger, and biggest kind of a uh, construct in Hebrew. So when they want to emphasize something, they do it, they double it. And when they want to give it maximum emphasis, they give it three times. But one time that popped into my head immediately when you said that was when Abraham was getting ready to uh, dispatch Isaac on on the altar that they'd built, right? And God said to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. So, I'm sure there's something to that. I don't, I, and I'll bet you there's other times when, when, you know, Yahweh talks to, mentions His name twice. What, um, the thing that's interesting is God's description of Himself. I mean, that's really, I think, the thing that that stands out here. And um, you, yours used a little different words than, than mine does, but it's all the same, I think. The uh, mind says, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. So that's, that's God's description of Himself.
3: wondering if the, going back to Show Me Your Glory relates to this portion because he says that he would show him his glory when mm-hmm. he passed by the tent. Mm-hmm. So as he passed by, he gave the description of his own character, his own nature, which might equate to being the description for what His glory is.
0: Well, that's very, I, I, I think those two things are exactly, I think you're exactly right with that, but I hadn't bothered to go so far as to say, so that's His glory. But you're probably right.
3: Another thing in verse 6, um, it might be considered that this is the triune God because it says, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God merciful.
4: Mm -hmm. So the Lord is mentioned Mm -hmm. three
3: times, which might indicate.
1: Uh, Yep. Mark found one in Psalms 104, right at the first verse. What'd it say? Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord. Is that it? I thought it said Lord, Lord. In the Hebrew it's Okay. In the Hebrew it's Psalms 104. Psalm 104. In the Hebrew it's they're right. There's two Yahweh's right next together. to each other. Right.
0: I see. Okay. Um, one of the things after contemplating that description that God gives Himself that I kinda lit upon, and again I'd like feedback about this, is God is the perfect combination of love and justice. Okay? He's, he's loving and merciful, but he's not going to be taken advantage of and being taken for granted. And he's just. He, you know, the, the guilty do not go unpunished. So the, the price will be paid. So he's got a perfect mixture of, of love and justice. I think if the antinomians, if you will, if our Christian friends do anything wrong, they emphasize the love at the expense of the just. Because it, you kind of come away with this feeling of you can, to excuse the phrase, you can get away with murder, you know. Uh, and God, like I say, God's not going to be taken advantage of. He knows. He knows what's in your heart. And so although He's a forgiving God, I think you hit it on the nail, the nail on the head, Pat, when you talked about repentance. And He can also tell the difference between true repentance and non-true repentance, if you will. So that's the key.
1: John? Well, it's interesting again that this, uh, the same thing he says in Exodus 25 and 6 about visit to the third and the fourth generation, the iniquity. Yeah. And again, the word for visit is, I think it's Pachad. Uh, where is it?
0: Yeah, I've, I've, I'm still struggling with that one. The sins of the father to the Pechol. children of the third and fourth generation, iniquities.
1: iniquities. iniquities. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Good point.
1: The transgression is vafeshah. V- v- Iniquity is avon. Yeah.
5: Iniquity is.
0: So, another thing that bolsters your opinion, Pat, that this is this is actually the carrying out of the thing we just read in the previous portion is in verse eight when he says. Moses bowed to the ground, notice, at once, and worshiped. Then he says, O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. In other words, this is when he actually, you know, cashes the check of, uh, you know, will you forgive your people, right? Any other thoughts? Okay. Does somebody would somebody like to read from Okay, sorry. Go ahead.
8: I'm not good I'm not good at knowing where, but I recall reading where Yahweh in the heavens has just a host of people, not host host of angels, I guess. Yeah. Um, worshiping him all the time and praising him at all times.
0: That's Boy, there's a lot of that in Revelation, I know. Yeah, yeah. And,
8: and I'm wondering if this isn't part of it here, that he's got the hosts among them that are proclaiming that it's part of his entourage. <laughs> that could be. Anyway, yeah. that was just a thought.
0: Those mm-hmm. well, These passages are fascinating because they're so... Out of our realm of experience, right? Okay, would somebody like to read from verse 10? Oh, actually, the best place to read is from verse 10 to verse 28. That's a lot of reading, but we can come back and look at it. Go for it.
5: And he said, See, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I am going to do wonders such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of Yahweh, for what I am doing with you is awesome. Guard what I command you today. See, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Yebusite. Guard yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, Where are you going, lest it be a snare in your midst? But break down their slaughter places, and smash their pillars, and cut down their asherim. For you do not bow yourself to another mighty one, for Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous El. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they whore after their mighty ones, and slaughter to their mighty ones, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his slaughterings. And you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters whore after their mighty ones and make your sons whore after their mighty ones. Do not make a molded mighty one for yourself. Guard the festival of Matzot for seven days you eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time of the new moon of Abib because in the new moon of Abib you come out from Mitzrayim. Everyone opening the womb is mine. And every male firstborn among you, your livestock, whether bull or sheep. But the firstborn of a donkey you ransom with a lamb. And if you do not ransom, then you shall break the neck, or his neck. Every firstborn of your sons you shall ransom, and they shall not appear before me empty-handed. Six days you work, but on the seventh day you rest. In plowing time and in harvest you rest. And perform the festival of Shabuot for yourself of the first fruits of wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times in the year, all your men are to appear before the Master Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel. For I dispossess nations before you and shall enlarge your borders, and let no one covet your land when you go up to appear before Yahweh or Elohim three times in the year. Do not slay the blood of my slaughtering with leaven, and do not let the slaughtering of the festival of the Pesah remain until morning. Bring the first of the first fruits of your land to the house of Yahweh, your Elohim. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Write these words, for according to the mouth of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. And he was there with Yahweh forty days and forty nights. He did not eat bread, and he did not drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the ten words.
0: Okay. So this is like a a replay, replacing the tablets that he broke the first time. right? But let's go back and and, and look at that. Go all the way back to verse 10. He says, um, Yahweh says, I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, Yahweh, will do for you. Then he says, Obey what I command you today. So that's, that's always been the, the whole point here, right? <clears throat> I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare to you. Now, one of the things I've learned, and I'm sure you have to doing this enough times, is when something's important, it gets said more than once. This is the first, but probably the first of at least three or four times we're going to read that exact phrase in the Torah. So it must be important. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Uh, John.
1: So the snare is if you have this covenant over here with God, and you have another covenant, and that overlays this. That's the problem. It overlays this covenant. Yeah. And so that's how you lose your inheritance. That's how you lose your law form. That's how you lose everything. Now, but if it's, it has nothing to do with this and there's nothing that's over parts that are being overlaid, then that's something else. But that's what he's getting at here. And he's talking about, you know, your sons and giving them to your sons and, and, and breaking bread and all these things. Like mm-hmm. you would, you know, when we understand how a covenant works with all the, all the things that happen. So okay. it's, it's, it's the contracts that you sign, this is a key thing, can undo contracts that you already signed. Like the New Deal... Overdid the old deal.
0: Well, okay. I was something that you triggered in my mind when you were talking is a lot of times when these, uh, when people sign contracts, especially sales contracts, they have this exclusivity clause basically says, you will be my exclusive representative in this territory or area. And uh, that's the, that's the thing you value. And that's the thing you don't want to break. Because uh, it goes both ways. If God were to break his exclusivity clause, uh, then you wouldn't be his chosen people, right? And if you break your exclusivity clause, then God's not honor-bound to to have you as his people, right? So, that's, yeah, that's the key. Yeah. Go ahead, Joe.
2: Okay. Uh, this, uh, God is uh, forbidding uh, these people to... Uh, uh, marry, uh, daughters and sons of the different, uh, yep. groups because they'll, uh, pull them away to their gods. Yep. And this is what, uh, Solomon did when God told him, don't take horses or wives oh, because yeah. the, it's, uh, it's so easy to be pulled away. And I don't think the people of Israel had that spiritual strength where they could withstand the pulling because, uh, put in the modern day, uh, meaning you're going to do things to please your mate and everything. And then the New Testament tells us not to be united together with unbelievers. You can't mix oil and water, you know. So I I think there's a a lot of uh, cautions that God is really protecting His people.
0: Well, I think, number one, uh, the comment you made about Solomon, it expressly says that Solomon's many wives did this to him. They're exactly what caused this, okay? Number two, there are all kinds of examples all through history where Israel didn't do this, right? And every one of them led to failure. So,
7: Mark. Were you talking something about a tree earlier that it would be a snare to them when they went on that? Where where were you reading that at?
0: That's, um, let's see. Verse 12, uh, 34. 34 verse 12, Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. And this, we've seen that before, this is not the first time we've read that either. Treaty. So he's basically saying, you know, you got to get rid of all of this pagan worship, all of it, and don't don't go there.
2: <laughs> I, th- I think it's interesting where the Scriptures uses the word snare. Yeah. Yeah, snare is like a trap. Yep. And so if uh, Satan put these snares before people to uh, trap them, it's like in the New Testament where... When uh, Yeshua was up on the mountain and Sarah, our Satan, was setting traps, yeah, the Pharisees yeah. tried to trick him setting traps. Yep. These were all snares. Those were
0: all snares. You're exactly right. Marvin's got something. Marvin, behind you. No. Marvin. The other too
5: Marvin. Many M's. Too many M's.
6: Sorry about that. What is on the, ten ta- the two tablets? Well, we talked about that the other day. We said, my best guess is the two tablets
0: on each one, the two tablets are a copy. One's a copy of the other.
6: Okay, what's on, on okay. One the, of them the, are is... They, uh, are they the covenant? Are they what? The covenant. Yes, they're the Ten Commandments. Well, there's more, there's more than the Ten Commandments on it. Well, yes. It's hard to say exactly, but well, you've got well, to say... Well, what see. we just read here...
0: We're, yeah. Hang on. What we just read here has got all kinds of stuff about uh, celebrating three times a year and all this kind of stuff. It's got more than just the Ten Commandments in it. But on the other hand, I think...
6: On 28, it says, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat food or drink water. He wrote the Ten Commandments, comma, the words of the covenant, comma, on the tablet. So it's the Ten Commandments... Plus what we just read. Well, yeah. Is that right?
0: Yes. I guess the hard thing about that, and the thing I've kind of had to wrap my mind around, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but somehow or another, the Ten Commandments embody the whole Torah. Somehow or another. I mean, it's not that the entire Torah was written on these tablets. There's not enough room on the tablets to write the whole Torah. But just as, you know, uh, Yeshua says... You know, the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And those on those two, he says, hang the prophets and the law. The law and the prophets. Well, in other words, those two statements contain the Ten Commandments. So if those two statements contain the Ten Commandments, then there's not nothing it's not too hard for me to believe that the Ten Commandments contain the Torah. It's just it's just, uh, how can I put it? It's God's idea of what. He has a much better, a much stricter definition of what words mean than I do.
1: Have you seen art where people will, like, really? Yes. Yes. Or a micro, micro calligraphy. And they'll put the whole book of, yeah. know, maybe that's the whole Torah. I don't know. Yeah,
0: Jan's got a couple pictures like that.
1: The other yeah. thing was so we've got Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Deuteronomy, what is it? Four five or six. Yep, I don't there's remember. some there.
0: That's that's repeated there. This
1: is essentially another set of yep. the Ten Commandments. I don't know if there's any more. I don't really either. I th- I was kind of surprised to find these. <laughs> is this, is this the also? I have a f- a footnote the 13 and above starting at verse six the 13 attributes of the mercy of God. I don't know if that's. I know, Mandy Judah talks about that, but I don't know if that starts right. I there. I don't know that either. All right.
3: I'm wondering if we don't assume that our commas and so forth are on verse number 28, um, meaning that there's more than one thing. Maybe it's the same thing being said with two different words. In other words, the Ten Commandments are the covenant. Yes. Yeah. So it's not like there's more than just the Ten Commandments.
0: Ten Commandments. Well, it's funny though that the preceding the preceding paragraph has all this stuff about the feasts and, and things like that, and and the feasts certainly didn't appear in the stuff in chapter twenty. I, I don't know. Yeah.
7: Mark? How many uh, feet long was the ark? Well, oh, I don't I don't rec- I, I only know it
0: in cubits. <laughs> uh, I don't remember why.
7: Well, I'm just trying to get an idea of the length of the tablets. I mean, they were tablets. The ark was made for the tablets, and they went in there nice and
0: oh oh, neat. I see what you're saying, yeah,
7: so based on what Marvin is saying, if it's written on front and back, if there's ten, that's just basically two commandments on each on each half on each side, yeah, so you got two here, two here, two, two. You're basically just a little over two on each quarter, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, an and unless. He wrote the 613 commandments, and uh-huh. then you would have 153 on each, each half, on well, each it side. It could be. And no well, one I mean, knows. No one really knows. Yeah. yeah. Uh, most people believe it's the 10, but again, everyone that thinks about 10 thinks it's one side, but clearly yeah. it's on both sides.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is there really is, the one of the things we learn from the whole Torah is that the way God explains things, He'll put a general rule up there, and and it's up to the legal system, it's up to his people to kind of understand all the elements and the facets of that rule. Uh, and some, some of them he goes into great detail to show you different examples, but, you know, it's... Yeah, yeah. John?
1: You know, we're kind of assuming that we have an idea what it is, like we saw it, like, oh, here's this stone, and he chiseled it out. First of all, why does it take him 40 days to do that? That's a good point. He's but, you know, small. what if it's like multidimensional thing, and it's just like, you know, you look at it this way, and it's like a whole another thing, yeah. and you look at it this way, or yeah. you shine a light in the, on it in a certain way? I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something really truly, it's more than just a stone with yeah. chiseled out. It's the Bible code in spades. Right. In 3D, histogram, yeah. whatever.
0: You guys doing all right? <laughs> in in uh, verse, verse 12,
2: 34, verse 12, it says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where thou goest. lest they be a, for a snare. In other words, as I read this, the make a covenant with the... Uh, the, the other people, it's a snare.
0: Yeah. That, that, yeah, that's right. So don't do that. Yep. And like I say, the, the, the rest of the Torah is just full of stories where they didn't do this, right? Just all over the place. Well, we have also, just to make sure that our, you know, we're on our toes, the famous do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk there. And that, that like I say, one of the things that I, I'm still struggling to get my hands around in terms of the Torah is why some of this stuff just seems to come is in this, from nowhere. Is this the first time it's noted? No. No? No, we've run across it's that s- once it's before. Because it's several once. times. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's, that, that's scary whenever we go back to it must be important clause, Right. Okay, church, I thought you know at first when you said Ark, I was thinking Noah's
5: <laughs>
0: three feet by eighteen inches yeah okay
2: uh, Jerry, what is the month of a b i b of abib aviv Aviv is the Hebrew word
0: for spring, and so what? I believe, what we believe it is, is it's the it the month of Aviv starts on the first new moon that appears after the spring equinox. Four days ago. Okay, yeah, four days ago. So the spring equinox is whenever you move from winter into spring, and the month starts on the new moon. So the first new moon after the spring equinox is the first of Aviv. Aviv. And then... Um, it, it has it states in Leviticus heck it states in Exodus that this is to be the first of months for you this month of abib and the 15th of the month is uh, well the 14th the evening evening of the 14th is the Passover John
1: just a quick search I see three times where the mother's milk kid and the boiling the kids and the and the kid and his mother's mother. three times. Yeah, this verse thirty four twenty six. That's where we're at, right? Yeah. Twenty three nineteen in Exodus, and then Deuteronomy fourteen twenty one.
0: Yeah. Well, I hope someday I really understand it. <laughs> right now, I'm I'm living with the theory that it has something to do with some pagan practice. Um. Let's see. Let's go on, and read to the end of the chapter. Actually, this turns out to be also the end of the. Um, Torah portion. So, that's a good place. So, somebody want to read from verse 29 to the end of chapter 34? Okay. Great.
4: And it happened when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in Moses' hands when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. And Moses called to them, and Aaron, and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them, and commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai, and until Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out, and he came out and spoke to the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw that the skin of Moses' face shone and Moses put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him.
0: Isn't that interesting? So what's, what's going on here, do you think? Say what? <laughs> no, he, uh, yeah, he's his face glowed. After being near in the presence of God, his face glowed. And needless to say, it kind of... Uh, freaked out some of his people, right? <laughs> some of the people said, whoa, what's going on here, right? And so he wore a veil. Uh, Mike Margaret's got something. Uh, he wore a veil so that they wouldn't have to look at him and get get shocked, if you will. Right.
8: I'm just wondering, This going back to what we just read about the 40 days, he was up there 40 days, and here he is shining as he's coming down, so the light... Of Yahweh's majesty was it just stays with you. Yeah. You know, it just it well, just I think stays it, it stays ahead. with you. Not only that, I think I think maybe um talking about the miniature printing. Yeah. <laughs> the miniature printing and, and um what's that stuff that we have now that they do a printing uh, of objects? Three D. Three D printing. Three D printing, yeah. yeah. I'm sure Yahweh has that. I am too. I'm sure he had it back then. It was like, you know, this is (laughs) new stuff to us, but. HP printer. no doubt. Who knows, you know, maybe all this stuff was in there about the feasts, about. It could have been. All this, all this stuff. And in a miniature form, I know in the, in Israel, um, they have, I think it was Isaiah. They have little tiny scrolls with little tiny, tiny, tiny miniature printing in it. They have this big magnifying glass and. That was done by hand,
0: yeah yeah, well, you know uh, another thing uh, and and they did some yeah. of this they um, you know they, they carefully laid out all their letters in a very uniform fashion across the page, yeah. I guess, and you could choose to read them this way or this way or that way, yeah. and they may say something all those oh, different right? ways right, so you could have in one grid of, of letters, yeah, yeah. a whole bunch of different stuff, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if God didn't put it together that Kinda way. Kind of
8: like the puzzles that we have for kids, yeah, going this way, yeah, yeah, going yeah. that way. And,
0: yeah, Wow. So that's a thought, too. <laughs> ah, I think we figured it out, huh? But this radiant face thing, okay, John's got something first.
1: Well, I was going to talk about that. Go ahead. What is the, the famous statue of Moses?
0: Oh, that's, I was just going to talk about that, go too. Go ahead. Uh, when I was in, we lived in uh, Europe for a while, and we took one of these tours of Rome, and we got down there and we saw this uh, um, really cool statue that Michelangelo did of Moses, and the Moses, the lawgiver, looking very, you know, Moses-like there, and it's got two horns coming out of his head, and I thought, what kind of a perverted person would do that? You know, put horns out of Moses' head? That was terrible. And so I asked, the, <laughs> I asked the tour guide what was going on there. And he was, obviously, someone else had asked him the question. Because what he said was, and I, I checked into it, in the, um, the Latin Vulgate Bible, this is what they used back then, they had trouble translating the Hebrew word, um, you know, Hebrew doesn't have vowel sounds, so it was kof, resh, nun, karen, karen, or karen. And it can be translated either as horns or radiance. okay? So it from this thing here, it was the radiance that shone out of Moses' face and because of the way they trans, mistranslated the Bible, it came up horns. And so Moses thought in order to be accurate to the Bible, I got to put horns in the guy. Isn't that something? My, okay, we got uh, we get go ahead. You guys.
4: That's, that's pretty interesting because I took a trip uh, in Berkeley, California, and they have that same depiction upon their library, their yeah. main labr- library. And I didn't understand that either.
0: That's where it comes from. I was really glad to know that because, I, like I said, I caught what kind of a perversion got into, into Roman Catholicism that they put horns on Moses. But it wasn't that at all. It was, it was a mistranslation of the.
2: the uh, no, it wasn't horns like the devil. Well, that's well. Uh, that's know, what, they that like. what they look like. What they look like, but it wasn't that. Yeah. And uh, the people had seen Moses previously, and now he comes down from Mount Sinai and the radiance, and they would uh, because they hey, this doesn't look like Moses, you know. So this, would, I think, caused the fear. Uh, the radian, but the radiant. Uh, Remember in the, after Yeshua arose, and he was with his disciples, and Yeshua uh, explained to them all that was written about him, everything, and then the face, and then their hearts burned. There was the radiance. The radiance doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside, as God guesses the radiance.
0: That's a very good point. I remember have anybody ever read these? Uh, the story of Corey Tinboom, And now she and her sister were in the concentration camps, you know, and her sister, her sister died. And I uh, remember when she died or before she died that her face was radiant like that. She just was, and I remember thinking that was kind of neat.
1: Go ahead. I'm just wondering if this gives us a little hint of what Adam and Eve looked like in the garden before the fall since they walked with Yahweh in the garden all the yeah, time, yeah. Yeah. that their entire bodies were bathed in this
2: radiant light. Yep,
0: yep, that could be. Margaret?
8: Well, there's, there's numerous quotes, too, about the horn of my salvation. Yeah, Always talks about the horn, and, and, and the horns are important. That's where the blood is put. And also, in the Uh, seat, then the mercy seat, it has the horns. Yes. It has the horns. So, apparently the horns um, have, indicate there's some kind of royalty or something. Well, Uh, you know,
0: they talk about uh, that prophecy that's in uh, Revelation, about ten horns. The horns are always taken to be rulers of a country. Rulers, yeah. Yeah. So, Mm. yeah, I don't know, but, yeah. But,
8: I've always had that question, because, you know, to us, it seems kind of weird that
0: Here's a horn. Yeah, it'll magnify your horn. It's like yeah, no, we're talking about horn, you know. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff like that. that you just
5: not a horn a sign of power? Is what sign of power horn? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, the word that that the word brought up for the skins. His skin was radiant. Yes. Was Karen, his was a Karen. The skin is ore. Ora, no, or where I think we would get the word aura, okay. but it's ayin vav resh, and that's it's used uh, first used with Adam, and Adam also and his wife did Yehovah God make coats of skins, or and clothe them. Okay, hmm.
0: I, I don't know. I you'll have to get to the Hebrew experts. Afterwards, you can ask John. He'll tell you. She wanted to know whether the word orv...
1: According to this, though, it's always translated... Skin, I think. Maybe there's another word that's close to it. Different skin or hide, yeah. I don't know.
0: Well, that's the end of Parashah 21. So that seems like an okay place to stop. The um, As we start next week, it'll get a little uh, tedious because you know how we... Uh, defined in great detail what the tabernacle is going to look like and how it's made and all this kind of stuff. Well, now we have to make it. And so it's going to repeat most of that stuff again. But we'll find some other things to talk about because we'll, there will be other, other subject matter in there. Are there any other thoughts or anything before we close? Okay, let me, uh, let me close in prayer. Well, Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for the discussion. Thank you for these uh, Torah passages that are challenging. Help us to uh, think on them as we go through the week and show us some, uh, give us some insight, show us some details. Your Torah is uh, amazing and uh, I, just, I just love going through it and learning more and more all about it. Also, Father God, we'd ask that you'd be with uh, Hugh and Carol this evening as they're struggling with Hugh's um, ongoing illness. And we just remember them this evening and ask you to be helpful, comfort them, both of them. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
4: Who? Oh, find. Alfon-